Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. Aren't you glad that God didn't make us just one way? Yeah, and by the way, uh, for those of you who may not know, this is kind of a cool little trivia fact. It's been one year since we began a Portuguese-speaking Sabbath school class in this church. So, so, Pastor Felipe, we appreciate you leading that, and we're excited about the future, and we're grateful that this church is made up of many, many different groups of people that I hope will mimic what the uh, throne room of God looks like someday when we get to heaven. Isn't it great? Just, I mean, you know, seriously, it's like, just, just think, all around the world, all around the world, Christians worship, and we get to go ahead and get a little sample of what all of them are doing. Isn't that kind of fun? I love it. I love it. So this week's great question, we're in a great question series. This week's question, you ask the questions, and I get to try to answer them. <laughs> all right, let's see how it goes. All right, so uh, the, the uh, question for this week was this. I hear questions all the time about the diff- great difference between the angry Old Testament God and the loving New Testament God. So much of the Bible is poetic, metaphoric, and prophetic. It was written by people within a variety of ancient cultures without the benefit of scientific and technological uh, understandings of today. How can we understand these inconsistencies? How literally should we take Scripture? Well, that's a good quote. Well, not maybe. I just want to know, do you think this person is just a little jaded or something? I don't know. I mean, I don't know who wrote it, so if that was you, don't be offended. I, I don't know you. I don't, well, maybe I do. Who knows? Um, but uh, I thought it would be fun just to get all of your opinions. So we're going we're gonna to put, you guys, if you're not familiar with Minty, Minty's kind of fun. Uh, you get your, get your cell phones out. I know pastors don't say that very often. Get your cell phones out. And uh, open up your browser. Go to menti.com, M-E-N-T-I.com. And you're going to go ahead and put this word code. You can see some of the things that First Service put in, but let's add to what they've put in. Um, the, the code on Minty is 1829-8532. If you're online, you can do this. If you're here in-house, you can do it. Um, let's see what we, uh, what we get from you about what you think of. Describe the God of the Old Testament. So the, the biggest word, that means that a lot of people actually entered this word, is strict. Another one is uh, angry. Imagination, actually, is another big one. Uh, loving is there, too. Uh, forgiving. Powerful. Ah, you guys are getting into it now. Look at that. Creator. Hard. Merciful. Okay, I like this. You know what's not changing though? Strict is big. Strict is big. So let's go ahead and do, let's go ahead and do, let's go ahead and have you do this with the New Testament. Let's describe the God of the New Testament. New code, new code, 1829-8532, 1829-8532. So the big word right in the middle here for the New Testament that you guys are writing in is loving, forgiving, kind, grace, 
merciful, accepting. I saw vengeful there for a second, but then it disappeared on me. Non-judgmental, critical of Jewish leaders, compassionate, grace. Look at that coming in. Well, thank you for giving your opinions. I hope that you can see, though, that when you put a word cloud up there and we ask all of you to put some information in, there does seem to be a little bit of a difference in the words that we see associated with God in the Old Testament and the words that we see associated with God in the New Testament. So what I hope to do with you today is get to the bottom of that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We wanna love you better. And Lord, I just wanna pray that right now you would help me to take something that's pretty difficult and make it easy to understand. And while I'm doing that, Lord, help me to, to speak the words you want me to speak. Pray that you wouldn't let me say anything that is something you wouldn't want me to say. May this message come directly from you, we pray in your name. Amen. So there are four Bible verses and one extra biblical statement that I would like to use to be the foundation of our conversation today. I'm going to read those four Bible verses for you without commentary. I'm gonna do that because I would like you to start thinking about why did Ken choose these four verses as the foundation for the answer that he's trying to give to this question, this great question that was asked? And why is he making this one statement? So I'm gonna let you kind of sort through it a little bit in your own mind before I actually start giving you some of my thoughts on those texts. We good with that? Well, that's what we're gonna do anyway. All right, let's do it. All right, so let's go ahead and take a look at this. Um, the first Bible verse comes from 1 John 4, 16. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. That's the first foundational text. The second foundational text, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. That's from 2 Timothy. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That's the second foundational text. Third, this is kind of tricky because it's more than, it's actually two different texts, but just give me that, okay? So the third foundational text come from Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord and I do not change. So that's our third foundation that we'll be building on. And the final Bible verse is this one from Matthew chapter five. Don't misunderstand why I have come, says Jesus. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So kind of start pondering why I picked those as the foundations for what I'm talking about. And now let me go ahead and make a statement to you. This is the statement, extra biblical statement for me. I think it's only fair that as your pastor, you know where I stand on things. There's lots of different ways to study the Bible, to interpret the Bible. It's a word called hermeneutics. It's how you come about 
how you go about looking at the Bible. And one of the things that I think it's only fair that you understand is that I'm what's called a biblical literalist. I believe that the Bible really means what it says. I believe that in Genesis chapters one and two, when it says that God created the world in six days and rest on the seventh, that it was actually six literal days. I want you to know that I have some very good friends of mine, both within the Seventh-day Adventist church and without, who have a completely different understanding of those verses. Did you notice I said we're friends? We're friends. We have a difference of opinion. My friends look at me and say, well, Ken, how could you think that that could possibly, I mean, the geological record and the blah, 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 blah. And I say, well, I have my reasons, the blah, 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 blah. And we have a nice conversation about it. And we're friends at the end of the conversation. This is important. But I do think it's fair that you know where I'm coming from. So as I, when you ask me how literally should we take the Bible, my answer is literally. Except when you shouldn't. Because <laughs> there's a couple places where you shouldn't. You mentioned, the, the person who asked the question mentioned some of them. There's some prophecy that, you know, was prophetic. Uses metaphor, allegory. There's some poetic parts. So how do you know? Let's talk about it. How do you know? And is that Old Testament God different than that New Testament God? Well, I need a help from this, this, uh, this cute little girl. Could this cute little girl come up front, please? Yes, she can. All right, okay, there we go. <laughs> She's so cute. Yeah, yeah, there we are. Check out the hair. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> how old are you, Atara? Good grief, I don't know, but right, don't make me say, I came like, I look I'm not cute, asking though. how old you're right now. I'm just asking how you're old in that picture. I'm okay with that. I'm 39 and fine. All right, I'm okay, okay with that. <laughs> Period. Period. There we go. All right. <laughs> Excellent. I knew this was going to be fun. All right, so, Atara, you, there are a few years between this picture yes. and now. Yes. If you were, how did that, that young lady... How did she understand her parents compared to how you understand your parents today? Oh my gosh, they were so mean. They meant well, but you know, oh yeah, sorry parents, I love you. (laughs) They did their best. So you're saying in that picture, you thought they were a little mean? Uh, Yeah, they I. I still love them, but they were kind of mean because, yeah. How do you view that? So, okay, so with a few years gone by, do you view them that same way? Oh, my understanding is complete, especially with my dad. Like, my understanding of that is, he's, he's not mean, but some of the stuff is still, it's how it, it's, it's showing up. My understanding is completely different than what I thought of them then to now. A little bit different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming up. I actually have, yeah, I actually have another, oh yeah, right? Isn't it amazing? Some people never age. I'm telling you, like, yeah, it's, it's incredible. All right, Gabby, our online worship host, this is her from a couple years ago. And Gabby, we asked you to ask our online viewers to tell you um, if their view of their parents differs today from when they were children. Did you get any responses, Gabby? Hey, Pastor Ken, I did not see any responses for this service. And by the way, that was 13 years ago, not just a couple years ago, okay? (laughs) And no, but I can personally say that my understanding of my parents has changed from when I was seven years old to how old I am now. 
living on my own and all that, I can see that all the nagging and, you know, what I thought was nagging at least from when I was younger actually is productive. And it was to build me to be a successful and happy adult. So I've grown a, a new appreciation for my parents. There you go, mom and dad. Yeah, there we go. There we go. There we go. Yeah. And, and uh, by the way, Gabby, we have to let you know that it, when you're 47 years old, 13 years was a few years ago. Okay. Just, just so you know. I understand, I understand, but it, it was a few years ago for me. All right, so do you guys catch the drift of where I'm, where I'm going with this? You're a smart group of people, so I'm not gonna belabor it too much, but I want you to ponder it. When you look at the Old Testament and you look at the New Testament, how has people's understanding of God changed with the passage of time? Think about how we think when we're young. When we're young, everything tends to be a lot more black and white. Things are more concrete. And parents, you know that I'm not lying when I tell you that when you have that first child, the world is full of danger, right? I remember yelling at people driving my daughter home from the hospital, slow down, you're doing the speed limit. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was afraid to walk up steps with my child because I was like, what if I trip? You know, after you have a couple, you're a little less worried. You know, they bounce. It's, you know, but anyway. <laughs> but uh, I'm sorry, Eric. Um, anyway. No, but, but I guess what I'm really trying to get at is the truth, though, is this. When babies are small, they do need protection. They have to be nurtured. You have to take more precautions than you take with your, your young adults. Like take, for instance, this little kid. That's me. Yeah, yeah that's me from a couple years ago. <laughs> Just a few. I was about three years old in that picture. My dad was graduating from, uh, from Physician's Assistant School at Kettering, Ohio. And uh, if you ask that little boy, his, dad, his parents were, were very strict very strict. Um, if you did this, you could get in trouble. If you did that, it could even lead to a spank. Don't judge them. Just, I'm just saying that's the way we did it in my family. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's the way we did it. And, and so that little boy is like, hey, there, there's some concrete things that can happen to you if you do this, that, and other. I want you to know that today I do those things and my dad doesn't show up at my door to spank me. And he knows that I'm doing them. Why? Because as an adult, it's appropriate for me to be doing that. It's the appropriate time to be doing that. But it wasn't the appropriate time at three years old. Then I look at this guy. This guy was probably about 20, 21 years old at that point. Again, me. And I think about how much smarter I was in that picture than I am today. Man, my parents, they didn't know anything when I was 21 years old. I was so smart. I could only imagine how much smarter I was going to get. And they were like, oh, trust me, you're going to feel a lot dumber at 47. And they were right. That kid had a lot of answers, a lot of answers. Some of them were right and a lot of them were wrong. And the, the thing about for me is, have my parents grown and matured over the years? Yes, they have. But you know what's really changed the most? My perspective. My perspective. And so when we start thinking about the Old Testament and New Testament, 
let's go ahead and just admit something. In the Old Testament, they didn't have this. They didn't have Jesus. God was a lot more direct because he had to be. And by the way, the knowledge of God at that point could have been easily wiped right out with just a few people dying. So is God a little protective of his people? He was. But as you look at this God, the question we have to ask, did he change or did how we understand him change? So let's get to the bottom of that with those foundational texts that I was talking about. We're gonna actually go in reverse order that I read them to you in. But let's go ahead and um, start with Matthew chapter five, verses 17 and 18. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose has been achieved. Did you catch that? Until its purpose has been achieved. There's a reason why we don't sacrifice animals today. It's because the purpose was achieved. There's a reason why I feel free to shave the sides of my beard, which I'm told not to do in the Old Testament law. It's because its purpose was achieved. We need to understand that there are some things that are found in that Old Testament law that had a purpose that was incredibly important at that time. And there are some things that still have a purpose that's incredibly important at this time. For example, for me, the Ten Commandments are timeless. Why? Well, because I would rather you not murder me. I don't think the purpose has been achieved. <laughs> so yeah, just, you know, just go murder people. It's okay. No, the purpose hasn't been achieved. I, I, I believe that, 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 that it's not good to have other gods because the purpose hasn't been achieved. Now, what has been achieved is that I'm not held with my head under the water by sin when I break God's law. Those 10 commandments, God's law, have no power over me because I am in Christ and I'm a new creation and his grace covers me. I don't have to fear. But let's be honest, God had a reason for asking everything that he asked. And it's important that we understand that. Jesus did not come to suddenly radically change everything. He didn't go, well, all that was a big mistake. Let's start over. Rather, he said, no, I'm here to achieve what we were talking about there. Make sense? Okay. Let's go to the next text. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, verse 8. We're all good with that. Well, what does that have to do? Yeah, Jesus is amazing. We love Jesus. I mean, we like to ignore some of the hard things he says, right? Because Jesus says some hard things, let's be honest. Right? He says some hard things. We kind of skip over those sometimes. But Jesus, Jesus is the same yesterday. I'm comfortable with that. Jesus is cool. Jesus is loving. Not that Old Testament God up on the mountain throwing down fire on people. Wait a minute. Malachi 3.6 says, I am the Lord, I do not change. So what we take is we take that text and we say, oh, talking about God the Father. So there's God the Father, there's Jesus. Jesus doesn't change. God doesn't change. Wish he would. It's kind of mean. But nice Jesus, he's always good. Well, here's the problem with that. Malachi 3.6 is actually talking about Jesus. And here's why I'll tell you this. When Moses was up on the mountain, do you remember the story how Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments? And during that time, he asked God to see him. And God said, sure, I'll let you see me, but you don't get to see my face. You only get to see me from behind. So Moses sees him. So riddle me this. When Jesus said, no man has seen the Father, what does that mean? Jesus. 
It means that Moses saw Jesus. So who gave the Ten Commandments? Jesus. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we talk about angry Old Testament God, we usually put God the Father, that's angry God. But you have to understand, most of the time when we're seeing God talked about in the New Testament, that's Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has always been the word. He's always been the explanation. He's always been what makes God understandable to humans and to creation. So when we look at the Old Testament, we're not seeing some other, like that's, you know, thank goodness Jesus finally took ascendancy and was, is now, no. They are one and they are love. Let's talk about that. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to understand science and history. It really bugs the life out of me. Not that people use the, book, the Bible to help them understand science or help them understand history, but they turn the Bible into a history and science book instead of a book to equip his people to do every good work. It's a problem. When we are nasty to each other, we do bad works in the name of upholding the history and science of the Bible. There's a problem with that. The primary purpose of scriptures is not to give us a history or science lesson. That's not to say there's not science and history in there. I believe it. Remember, I said I'm a literalist. I believe it. But whether you're a literalist like me or not a literalist like me, let's remember what the Bible's there for. It's to equip God's people to do every good work. That's the purpose, okay? Primary. So let's think about this. Values. When I talk about values, values don't change. They shouldn't. But their application can. I love my children the same, but I love them in a different way today than I love them today. I don't love them less. I think I probably love them more. But the point is, the way that I apply how I love them has to change with them as they grow and mature. So let's understand one other thing about scripture from 2 Peter. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from a prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So what I want, what I want you to think about here is this. Firstly, it says you must really realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from prophets and understanding. One of the things I love about the Seventh-day Adventist Church is that while our tradition says that we're biblical literalists, one of the things that we also believe is that, that God inspired people with thoughts, but those people wrote them down themselves. And the reason why that's good news is because there are some minor errors when you look at some of the old, right, like, you know, misspellings of words, words that are repeated, when I say errors, I'm not talking about big like, oh, that's going to change everything kind of thing. I'm just talking about little things. Well, what would be the problem if, if, if every scripture was literally inspired, every word, it would mean that God doesn't know how to spell sometimes. And that's not at all the truth. God inspired human beings who in their humanness, 
wrote things down. And sometimes when it came to history, they, they recorded what they saw through their lens. The four-year-old lens. God's kind of harsh. Oh, he, he did what they said, but was he doing it out of love and care? How was their interpretation? It all comes back to this family. We know how much God loves us. Do you know? Because if you don't know how much God loves you, you will never interpret scripture correctly. You won't. You will do it to beat other people up with. You will do it to beat yourself up with. You will use scripture in ways that God finds abhorrent. And yes, makes him angry. Because can we just all be honest? Is it bad to get angry when you see injustice? It's not wrong to be angry when you see injustice. If it doesn't make you angry to see somebody being abused, you need to check your humanity. Why would we want a God that didn't get angry when he sees injustice? But aren't we grateful that with a God that has grace and mercy in spite of the injustice that I show so often to others? We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and that is the core, the main foundation, the cornerstone of the gospel. God is love. Everything else must be interpreted through that. And when you find a passage in the Old Testament that makes your eyebrows shoot through the top of your hairline, you need to understand that you just might not understand yet. But God is love. Why did I say that? So let me, let me say that. When, why didn't God just in the Old Testament just share all that, just, just spill the truth right on top of them? They, like, Get rid of all that slavery stuff. That's ridiculous. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Why did he make accommodations for this, that, and another? Well, for the same reason he makes accommodations for our culture today. Because we're human and we're weak and we're frail and he knows it. And he has grace for us in our time, just as he had grace for them in their time. God is a God of love and understanding. And don't, for a second, think. It's like, you can't explain <laughs> to the average kindergartner, you can't explain nuclear fusion. You can't explain chemistry. You can't explain physics. It's not that they're stupid. It's not that they don't want to understand. It's they can't. Why would we think in our humanity that we could possibly understand everything about a all-eternal God who's been eternal? And so family, when there are things in the Bible that I don't understand, it's a challenge to me to dig a little bit deeper Oftentimes where I see the Bible, where I think it's contradicting itself, that's some of the greatest treasures I've ever come across. As I look at it and go, oh, wow, wow, that's not contradicting. That's actually God doing something bigger than I ever thought I could understand. We can trust the Bible. We can trust that God loved us enough that he left us a record to show that love. And if we don't understand something, it's okay. It's okay.
God may let us know it now, or it may come to another time. But one of the things that we have to understand is that statement I said, truth is progressive. And some of you are like, I knew you were a Democrat. That's what you said. That's You read that. I'm not talking about that kind of progressive, okay? Progress means moving forward, all right? And, and just so you know, I actually stole that from somebody. But I'm going to make good. I'm going to actually quote them. I'm going to tell you who I stole it from here in a second. So I'll just read the original quote. Oh, there it is. The truth of God is progressive. This is written in, by the way, Google this article, read the whole thing. You should read the whole thing. Science of the Times, May 26, 1890. You can find it. You can look, it's just a simple Google search if you want to find it. The truth of God is progressive. It is always onward going from strength to greater strength, from light to greater light. Just like a three or four-year-old, truth is progressive. It's not the truth has changed. It's just understanding, understanding more, understanding more. We have every reason to believe that the Lord will send us increased truth for a greater work yet to be done. Much has been lost because our ministers and people have concluded that we have had all the truth essential for us as a people. Family, as you get older, you get entrenched in your ways and the Seventh-day Adventist church is getting old. But at the beginning, we weren't afraid to ask hard questions and we weren't afraid to think that the truth was progressive and that we could learn something more. And even at that point, they said, much has been lost. And I see that happening in my beloved church. In my beloved church, we like, well, we need to go back to the old pillars. And I say, yes, if that means that everything's up for grabs. And we take the word of God and we say, we're gonna study it, we're gonna argue, we're gonna fight, but we're gonna love each other. That's okay. <laughs> to, con to conclude this quote, but such a conclusion is erroneous and in harmony with the deceptions of Satan, for truth will be constantly unfolding. If you don't know who Ellen is, she's one of the founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm gonna give Paul the final word in 1 Corinthians 13. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see imperfectly. Now we see imperfectly. Like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then, this is heaven by the way, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Amen. Yes, I could sing of your love forever, forever. So thank you so much, Pastor Ken, for being able to attempt to marry the two gods, it seems, but it's just the one. Just one. <laughs> um, and this is the opportunity now for you guys to be able to engage, ask questions, comments, or concerns. <laughs> the information is on the screen if you have any questions. And if we don't get to any of your questions, they will be answered on the podcast. So let's go to our first question. 
If God inspires humanity in their limited capacity to understand, can we expect the Bible to give us a complete picture of God? So if God inspires humanity in the limited capacity to understand, can we expect the Bible to give us a complete picture of God? Can I just say complete enough? Um, Do we want to accept complete? Enough? I'm just kidding. <laughs> so it's, that's like saying, can you, could you write a book and, and give a complete picture of me? Of course not. Okay. There's, Fair. there's in God being eternal, there's no way that, that one, I mean, John in the, at the end of his gospel said, if, if, if I were, I, could, I suppose if I were to tell everything that Jesus did, it would fill all the books in the world. Mm-hmm. And so, n- no, the Bible doesn't give a complete, complete picture, but it gives us a complete enough picture of okay. who God is for what we need. Yeah, and that's, that's powerful um, to hand on to. Gabby, I believe Gabby has some questions from on our line. Family members, Gabby? Hi, yes, okay. all right, Pastor Ken. So... The question here is, how does a Christian who is a literalist enter into a healthy and open conversation with a fellow Christian who is not? Mm. Oh, um, go have the conversation. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, I think the first thing that somebody who is, I think that when you're a literalist, you tend to, to, not have as much, not a lot of humility mm. because you know what's right, you know it's wrong, and so therefore it's right or it's wrong. And so one of the things I think that you have to do if you're going to have a conversation is have the humility to say, I want to learn. I may not agree at the end of it, but I want to learn. I want to be open to hearing what you have to say, just the same way I'd like you to be open to hearing what I have to say. And that's how every good conversation takes place, right? So, um, you know, uh, that's, that would be my suggestion. I like that answer because I do find sometimes there's the Bible can be very literal and then there's other components and other beliefs that are like, huh? So having a conversation. Yeah. So we had a couple of more questions actually, but we ran out of time. So check out the podcast. More, um, your questions are going to be there. But in preparation for next week question, if I hear you say yes really loud, I'll read it out loud to Pastor Ken. Who wants to hear the question for next yes. week? Yes. Okay. All right. Here it goes. So, I understand that God is found in the Trinity as Father, Son, and Spirit. However, it seems that most Christians and most churches are only comfortable talking about and seeking an experience with the Father and Son. Right. Okay. Why does it seem like there is hesitancy to fully experience the Spirit When Jesus told his followers that the Spirit was going to be our closest connection to God, how can the church most faithfully engage with God's Spirit in private and corporate worship? You know what I have to say about that? (laughs) Great question. Great. (laughs) Be here next week to hear that question. Thank you. That'll be fun. I hope you don't miss it. All right, family, let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we love you very much. Jesus, we appreciate your grace. And Holy Spirit, thank you for being our comforter. Thank you for being with us here today. Heavenly Father, may we leave this place not the same as we walked in, but encouraged, transformed, 
and inspired to share the grace and the love that you have so greatly shared with us. Help us to love you and others well, we pray in your name. Amen. All right, family, I love you. Go love your world. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace, and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.